0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever this podcast is finding you today. I hope you're having a beautiful day. And if not, I hope that this podcast episode brings comfort into your life, as I know it will. We have some beautiful topics that we cover and some really, really cool, really cool things. So I'm really excited. And before we dive in, I have my speaker symposium coming up in just a few days, and I'm really excited to announce that I am bringing in a very cool group that will also offer some sound healing in the middle of our day. And they do this with sound bowls. That you're, If you've done sound healing, you know there's always sound bowls. But they also bring in drums and singing and intonations as well as a saxophone. So I am super excited to experience them as I can only imagine you will be too. So if you haven't gotten your ticket, go over to my website, AmandaJoyLoveland.com forward/lean in and grab your ticket today. And my next guest, I am so excited to finally share this episode with you. We have been trying to get together for months and trying to coordinate our schedules. And finally when I was down at Homestead Ranch this past weekend, we were able to record out of my little cabin right by the lake, which was just stunning, and sit down on the floor and just dive into some really fascinating topics around the Mormon religion. And I have no doubt you're going to enjoy my next guest, Hugh Vell. Are you ready?
1: Hello. Welcome to the Lakeside Cabins.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. Lakeside Cabin number nine. Well, welcome. I know. This has taken us months to do and I get to hold my mic like this. So I feel a little dorky as we're sitting on the floor. This is awesome. I'm glad we're finally doing this and I appreciate you, Hugh, for stepping in and and for sharing your wisdom and your story and what you've learned and what you've gone through because I know it's it's significant. So I'm excited to, to share this space with you. Thank you. So where do you want to go? Because I know we were going to record a few months ago and we kind of put it on pause and it just wasn't mm-hmm. working and then you said, I know what I'm going to talk about now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know what that is? Do you remember?
1: <laughs> I remember what that was. Yeah? yeah?
0: Well, do you want to tell yeah. any of your religion story?
1: Um... Yeah, I mean yeah. I get asked about it all the time. And you know, you've asked me before. Well, the question that I get asked a lot is um why did you leave religion? Mm-hmm. And the answer I always give is I didn't.
0: I know that I'm like, okay. <laughs> and
1: that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And part of it is because I think of how I define the word religion. And what that means to me, mm-hmm. I think what people are really asking is a different question. Um, I think the question they're asking is, "Are you still inv- actively involved in organized religion?" Mm-hmm. And to that, I would say no. Yeah. Um, but leaving religion, I don't even know if it's possible. To leave religion
0: you know the title of this podcast is leaving religion and yeah. my book is yeah
1: that- <laughs> yeah but that's because of my definition of it uh-huh. so religion in latin is often translated as to re-ligament like if your ligaments were torn in your body and your ligaments were getting put back together huh. okay So the idea behind religion is to bring something that feels broken or has been separated Mm -hmm. back to its wholeness. Mm -hmm. And so with that definition, Hmm. I think we all want religion. But i that's, I think, a unique definition. I don't think that's the contemporary cultural definition. Right, or what is practiced. Or what's practiced, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. well, and I, I, you and I have talked about this. It's like religion. There's so much truth in religions, and for me, I just feel like it just slightly misses the mark. And I yeah. think it's in, for me, I believe it's intentional. Yeah, but you know.
1: So I think um, to talk about organized religion, uh, and to that point, there's so much truth in organized religions. Here's what I think: organized religions are, I think this is the purpose of them. At least the core, there's probably many purposes of them. The core purpose in my belief system is they are the keepers of the ancient stories. I think that's what organized religions have done for people.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: Because I don't think we'd have the Bible without organized religions. I don't think we'd have the ancient stories without organized religion. Mm -hmm. and so i think they're the keepers of the stories now an interesting thing is that to have the story doesn't mean to understand the story so what you need in the group of people which i think exist but i think this gift gets denied um and that is the interpreters of the story okay and i think we've anybody who's had the gift of interpreting the ancient stories, um, which could probably also uh, be defined as like translating the ancient stories. Mm -hmm. I I think that gift exists somewhere, but it has not been cultivated, nourished, nurtured and grown. And so I think it lays dormant for the most part. That's probably been happening for a couple hundred years at least. Um, And I think it could be a little bit more prominent than Obviously, than what it is, especially if it's dormant, yeah um so just because you have the story doesn't mean you understand the story,
0: right, well, that's the thing. I mean, when we were both in religion, and you now go and translate, you go pull uh-huh. in different languages because from one language language to another, it's often that it gets misinterpreted because there's no word that can directly translate, yeah, and, language
1: drifts, yeah, that's a thing that uh so a few years ago, about five years ago. I call them downloads. I got a download. Mm-hmm. It's my inner knowing. It's yeah. my inner library was yeah. talking to me, right? Mm-hmm. And and I got this download. The download said to uh, be able to answer the questions that I was asking in my heart and in my soul, mm-hmm. um, I would have to read the ancient stories, particularly in the New Testament, in ancient Greek And in classic German, neither language which I speak.
0: Right, I was gonna say, you don't (laughs) speak either one. So you're like, wait a minute, this download's full of crap.
1: Yeah, no, I felt like this (laughs) download sucks because that's a lot of work. (laughs) And just give me the answer, Yeah, (laughs) right? Um, But what I ended up learning, and Socrates said this really, really well, is he said, the beginning of wisdom is the definition of the terms so we have words, we have terms, and with terms you have conditions, mm-hmm. right? We're used to this in contract agreements, mm-hmm. right? Terms and conditions. So the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. So if, I, if you and I have an agreement, but we don't agree on the terms that are in there, how do we really have an agreement, right? We don't. We don't, yeah. And the other thing I think is really interesting that he's saying is he's not saying the beginning of knowledge, or the beginning of understanding. He's saying the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And wisdom has a really uh, deep, rich meaning in ancient Greek. Mm -hmm. There's six filters you have to go through to understand wisdom. Mm. Um, Two types of wisdom. The first type of wisdom is Sophia. This is where we get like philosophy right Mm -hmm. philo meaning the love of and then sophia is knowledge Mm -hmm. but sophia the greek word often gets translated as wisdom Mm -hmm. but the better translation would be like intellectual wisdom or knowledge Mm -hmm. the other greek word for that gets translated in english as the word wisdom is phronesis which is probably my most favorite word. So a few years ago, I did start. I followed that download and I bought every concordance. I mean, I spent like almost two grand buying books and concordances and reading it. And I would spend about two hours in the morning going through one verse because I would go through word for word. And so I'm just giving an example with like some of the words that you run into. You're like, okay, I get the translation, but. It's so much richer and deeper than than what's being spoken in English, because English is an expedient language, especially the way we use English today. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of English words that captivate and have this rich, deep meaning, but in our culture and our society we don't use these words. And even if we did, we wouldn't really understand what someone was saying because it's that we just Old don't, English. Yeah, we yeah. just don't understand some of that depth and deep. English. So the English that you and I use, and most of us, probably all the listeners, is a very expedient language. It's like a shortcut way. So we say things like, oh, I love ice cream. And then we say things like, oh, I love you. Mm -hmm. Right. But we mean two different things. Mm -hmm. So with wisdom, uh, going back to phrenesis, this means to do the right thing to the right person Mm in the right way for the right reason at the right time and in the right place mm-hmm. so you've got those six things mm-hmm. so wisdom is different than knowledge and knowledge is different than understanding and wisdom is different than both of them mm-hmm. but they one builds you know on top of the other so the beginning of wisdom the only way to really get to that that integration where I'm taking these things that I learn and I'm integrating them into my life, I'm applying them, I'm becoming a wise person or a person of wisdom, as I have to start knowing what are the terms that my relationships are being built on, whether it's my business relationship or my work relationship or my spiritual relationships, all those have terms and conditions to them. And the beginning of all of it is the beginning, the beginning of understanding how to have wisdom in that is by understanding what the terms are. Mm-hmm. Then I can start doing the right thing to the right person in the right way at the right time, in the right place. And right, and you go through that those six filters. And that's super, super challenging.
0: It seems like a lot of work. Like a if you're going amount. through and defining every single relationship in the way that it needs to look like in order to then do the six steps, is that what you're saying?
1: Um, well... What I'm saying, wisdom, let's, let me see if I can answer the question by talking Mm -hmm. about where Pharnesis shows up in one of the ancient stories. Okay. Um, It's in Luke chapter one. This is when Zacharias, who's approximately in his early 80s, his wife Elizabeth is in her early 80s. He's, I've read reports where he's 81 and she's 83. Hmm. And uh, Zacharias is John the Baptist's dad, mm-hmm. right? So he gets, he draws, it says that he draws lots, right? It's like a lottery. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple quorums. A quorum is basically 1,500 different priests. So the, the chance of your your lot, your number being drawn, that you get to go in on this special holy day and light the incense in the holy of holies, mm-hmm it may never actually happen in your lifetime so mm-hmm. he's supposedly about 81 years old and his lot gets drawn and he's super excited and so he goes to the holy of holies and he lights the the incense and the angel gabriel shows up and the angel gabriel says hey i've got a message for you and the message is that your wife's gonna have a baby And immediately, of course, he starts to doubt because his wife's 83 years old, so you can see the logic where Mm -hmm. he's like, "Mm." Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. And also, I've read some really interesting reports that even though their faith was so strong, the the commonality of meeting with angels and angels showing up, even in the Holy of Holies, had been so far removed from their experience. Actual experiences mm-hmm. that it was a very difficult, unbelievable experience for Zechariah to really wrap his mind around because he, to him he's just a normal guy who's been doing his priestly duties for yeah. decades and decades, just mm-hmm. like everyone else has been, and he doesn't feel any more special than anyone else. And now all of a sudden, an angel's actually showing up, and we believe that they do, but they don't really, right? And mm-hmm. That's yeah. kind of the the culture. It happens to someone else, or it happened to someone else, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the setting that he's in now. He's in the Holy of Holies and Angel Gabriel's there. And he says, your wife's going to have a baby and gives him some instructions. The first instruction is you're going to name him John, right? So you don't even get to name your own child. The angel tells you what you're going to name him. So he goes, okay, whatever. I don't even know if I really believe this, but sure. I'm listening. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then he says, your son, Angel Gabriel says, your son's going to be the front runner or the forerunner to the Messiah, right? Who's... Who's actually being birthed by Zacharias's sister-in-law, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mary is his sister-in-law. And so um it's like your son's gonna cousins to the Messiah, right? Mm. And the Messiah means the anointed one. That's the Hebrew word for the anointed one. Mm-hmm. And um if you dig deep deeper into that, not to get too anecdotal or tangential on this, but if you get dig a little bit deeper, it's the anointed one who's going to embody Christ consciousness more than what we've seen Mm -hmm. maybe ever Mm -hmm. that that's really what's being said when you're the messiah Mm -hmm. you're the one who's going to embody um integrate christ consciousness into your daily practical living and uh he's going to be the front runner to this and now being the front runner he's got two jobs and i'll give you the king james version uh the king james version the first thing he's going to do is going to turn the hearts of the the hearts of the Uh, fathers to all of the children, Mm -hmm. the hearts of the fathers to all the children. And if you get in and you translate what that actually means, it's basically saying we've got to get dads back in the homes and fatherhood's extremely important. Mm -hmm. And that's a unique message that I've never heard told in an organized religion that the way that John the Baptist is going to be paving for the people to follow in the wake of Jesus embodying christ consciousness is the step one fatherhood mm-hmm. that that's not a message that that i've heard a lot right. of. right no i hadn't but when you see in a really dysfunctional broken heart heartbroken society uh fathers are always removed and it's very difficult for fathers to be involved and engaged in the lives of their children yeah and so that's an interesting thing um the second thing that he gets Is to he will John will teach the wisdom of the just. So that phrase, the wisdom of the just, Mm -hmm. makes almost no sense to anybody in in modern contemporary English. Right? right? The wisdom of the just is wisdom, meaning to do the right thing at the right time in the right place, right person, right Mm -hmm. reason. Those six things to the just. The just being, if you were a fair person, you would be a just person. Hmm. So, the wisdom of the just. Mm -hmm. So, only just or fair people really know how to have wisdom. So, wisdom of the just, that whole phrase comes from one Greek word. The word is phronesis. Hmm. It's the only time it shows up in the New Testament. Oh, interesting. So, John's job is to teach fatherhood and phronesis. And if he can do that, he'll pave the way and be the front runner to to Jesus, who's going to embody Christ consciousness more than anyone else. And then the message can actually be accepted. So if you don't allow fatherhood and phronesis or true, true practical wisdom in our daily lives, we can't even accept the message of Christ consciousness Hmm. and we won't embody it ourselves.
0: That's interesting.
1: Which is a theory of mine of why I think he actually ends up being crucified. One of the reasons he's crucified is because fatherhood doesn't really come back and for neither does pharnesis.
0: So the hearts aren't softened.
1: So the hearts aren't softened. Yeah. And the hearts remain hardened because really hard things are happening. I mean, they're trafficking children. They have slavery just as much as we have today mm-hmm. in culturally speaking, you know. Um, and so this is a this is a big task that John's got in front of him. Now, the whole point is, is that we've had these stories, but it doesn't mean we've actually maybe heard the real story. Right. Um, and so I'm appreciative of organized religion for keeping the stories so that we could go in and dive in and and do the homework with them. Mm -hmm. Um, where I'm opposed is the stories, the way that they're being interpreted by the organized religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where I think it gets a little wonky. Not that the organized religion, I don't get into conspiracies that they, it's easy to fall into a conspiracy. I, I just. I'm skeptical about them. Mm-hmm. I know that there are conspiracy theories and I also know that there are conspiracy facts. That's mm-hmm. an Ezra Taft Benson quote, right? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But I think uh, there's just a tremendous amount of ego that's yeah. very difficult for the human consciousness to wrestle against. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and I guess I just speak from experience on that. Like my own ego is super challenging to wrestle with. Yeah. I think that's Jacob's wrestle when Jacobs uh dislocates his hip because he's wrestling with God, right? I think what he's really doing is wrestling with the true stories in of what's going on and who he really is. Mm. Cause that's a that's just
0: facing our own shadows, our yeah, own demons. All that, yep. yeah. Yeah.
1: And your hip, right, you have to understand that your hip is your most strongest fortified joint and bones in your body, it's carrying your weight, you're Mm -hmm. twisting, you're turning, you're running, you're, you you know, jolting, all that stuff. You're sitting, you're standing, that's all happening in the hip. And so our hips are very, very fortified. So to be in a wrestling match and have your hip dislocated, Mm. a little bit different than like your toe or your, (laughs) your thumb being dislocated, right? Your hip being dislocated, I think that's, I think the, the proper interpretation of that is how difficult it is to wrestle with the actual story mm. of, and I think the the real wrestle is who we really are.
0: Mm-hmm. Who do you think we really are?
1: Well, the old Testament says that we are the gods.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, who do you, Hugh, think we are
1: the same? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I get that from the, the translation of uh, Jesus when he's talking on the sermon of the Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, and in chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount is kind of kicking off. Mm-hmm. But Jesus has to lay the foundation for the next things that he's going to say in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Matthew. And when he's really digging into some of his final points of s- setting the tone for what this sermon really is, it's chapter 5, verse 48. The King James Version says... Be ye therefore perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very difficult for us to understand what's actually being said because here's what I hear Be ye therefore flawless, even as your father in heaven is flawless. And I don't think that that's fair. I don't think that's just. I don't think that's wise. Um, I don't even think it's accurate. Mm -hmm. And so when you dig into um the Greek version it's saying a couple different things. The first thing it's saying is the Greek word is teleos, Be ye therefore teleos. And teleos is the word for whole, mm-hmm. complete, lacking no parts. Yeah. So if we just translated right there be therefore whole, realizing that you are complete, lacking no parts, even as your father in heaven is whole, complete, lacking no parts. That feels different and that reads different. Yeah. So what that means is that perfection, when it was written in English in the 1600s, perfection is wholeness, not flawlessness.
0: Well, and even just the difference of those words, like you feel like you can move towards wholeness. Okay, I can do that. I yeah. can I can feel whole, whatever that looks like to me versus this idea of perfection is you can't ever reach that.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, what Carl Jung was talking about, right? It's like for my my branches and my leaves to reach the heavens, I have to realize that my roots reach mm. down to the hell. Right. right and so wholeness is integrating and accepting my shadows mm-hmm. and my light and i think that once we can wrestle with that and be okay with our shadows as much as sometimes we have some people have to be okay with their some people are totally fine with their shadows but they are not fine with their light mm-hmm. right
0: is that Marianne Williamson quote we're more afraid yeah. of our greatness yeah. than we are our i can't remember the whole quote but yeah
1: yeah exactly and then other people are totally fine with their light, but cannot get over the fact that they have shadows. Yeah. Right. And so the beautiful part, I think, is when we can integrate our light and our shadows, what's on the other side is the rainbow.
0: Well, oh, and that's wholeness. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: So the other thing that, that it's saying, here's what it's not saying. It's not saying, become ye therefore whole or become ye therefore perfect. It's saying be, meaning realize you already are. are. So the way that I translate it is own your wholeness, even as your heavenly parents own their wholeness. Mm -hmm. And so to me, what that means is that we didn't come to earth to have this mortal journey to become perfect, we are having this mortal journey and we are here because we already are perfect.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was listening to a little bit of a Michael Singer podcast this morning and he was talking about how simple, everything that we're seeking is actually quite simple, but it's that resistance to feeling, to feeling the emotions, the pain, the grieving, the sorrow, the whatever, it's the resistance to that that makes things so much harder. Definitely. And I would agree with what he was saying, that especially as I've continued learning it is, everything is quite simple. And just with what you're saying, that right there is simple.
1: Yeah. And I think anybody that wants to really understand why that is so difficult for us, you just have to study your brain Mm -hmm. and understand what the function of the prefrontal cortex is.
0: So here's my little plug for as you're listening to this, Hugh's going to be presenting something this Sunday at our speaker symposium. So if you're in Utah, grab a ticket and come join because... What you present is pretty it's fascinating. And I know I'm sitting here at a retreat. That's why you and I are down here at the Holmes Ranch and yeah. um with several women and we got to listen to it and and then see what you do with the must the wild mustangs. And you know, I, I cannot tell you how many times it's been brought up in conversations over the last few days from what you presented, because it really makes you what you present Makes you think and understand that, oh my gosh, this is how I'm playing this out and how can, and I can shift that. Yeah. So it's really beautiful wisdom that you share. And again, this, it's this, this coming Sunday. So yeah. get your ticket. Yeah. <laughs> it's my
1: favorite thing sharing that formula. I've been working on it for over just about five years, maybe a little over five years. And I feel like I just barely started to like piece the final parts together. And now we're diving deeper. It just goes on. It's, it's like an endless mm-hmm. well of, of just awesomeness, but, um, the Mustang, the must, you know, the Mustang demonstration that I do, which I now call a wild horse ceremony. Mm. Um, I used to call it a workshop. And then one day that just, uh, didn't feel like it was sacred enough. And I think I needed to change my intention for it and and what it was for me Uh, for the set and the setting to to be created for that, and so now it's it's a Mustang ceremony. Yeah, but what it really is is it's it's a metaphor, Mm -hmm. and it was Aristotle. It well, it was Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. That what you really needed to do is get good at understanding the metaphors to become a master of metaphors. Mm. And I stumbled into this metaphor and that's because where language falls short, Mm -hmm. the metaphor will easily fill in the gaps. And so the thing everyone really sees is they see themselves in the Mustang during that ceremony.
0: I think I I already shared with you, but I was shocked how emotional I got during that. Yeah. It was challenging to watch and really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah definitely it's
0: so why did you choose out and you haven't left but why did you choose to stop going to the mormon religion do you mind sharing you don't have to no no
1: um yeah because it's not something i'm embarrassed about um it is something i want to uh i i would never want to influence someone to go faster than maybe what they're ready for i agree with that um because uh organized religion served me really really well for a very long time mm-hmm. it provided a tremendous amount of feelings of safety and familiar familiarity mm-hmm.
0: and um, community and i mean there's yeah, a lot of beautiful a lot of great things. things yeah
1: i think we've lost some of that mm-hmm. in our modern times right now yeah uh there's so much litigation there's so much uh liabilities that are out there that i think we lose a lot of i mean you remember we used to have like road shows and we used to have
0: oh yeah uh, i forgot about that
1: yeah 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 we don't even do we don't like we get together and we have potlucks and everything like that but we used to like really engage in in lifestyle activities and basketball and softball leagues and you know and maybe it got taken too seriously but but those are community building and mm-hmm. we don't really have, I think some of those things that made uh, organized religions really uh, home-based and mm-hmm. kind of like rooted at the heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that fun and that play. That yeah. Gets to so I in. think
1: that's a sad thing. Um, so that's a motivator for me to be like, well, there's other places that I'll go that mm-hmm. do provide that. Mm-hmm. And, but I was um there's an interesting scripture in Doctrine and Covenants um it's section 22 verse 3 and the question is being presented why have I caused this church to be built up in the last days hmm. right that that's mm-hmm. ultimately the question that's going to get answered and It says, because of your dead works, have I caused this church to be built up in these last days? And uh, I served my mission in Independence, Missouri. Hmm. And uh, so we didn't get too involved in church history. Um, We were discouraged from that. And I think for good reason. Um, But when you, when I've, Dove into some of the early, like the Joseph Smith papers, I, th- I think are a great, great example of that. Uh, what's the guy's name? Richard, Richard Lyman Bush.
0: Oh, I don't remember. Uh,
1: he wrote, uh, Yeah, and I might be not saying his name properly, but he wrote Rough Stone Rolling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which was the big biography that, mm-hmm. that came out. And if I heard the story properly, it was, he was encouraged by the church to, and maybe even the brethren to write this book. Um, I loved that, that biography to me, it brought a lot of like realness to Joseph and to that whole experience Mm -hmm. that was going on. So uh, one thing I don't like is I don't like the aggrandizement of a prophet or somebody who has a gift. Uh, And to that point, I like Abraham Gileadis. Uh, if anyone's ever read any of his stuff, which I highly recommend. I've
0: um, never heard of him.
1: Yeah, he's incredible. He's a scholar. Um, he wrote an awesome book. He's written many awesome books, mostly writes on the book of Isaiah, but he wrote a book called End Times Prophecy, a, Judeo, hmm. a Judeo-Mormon a uh, Judeo interpretation or something like that. Hmm. I can't remember the full title of the book, but it's called End Times Prophecy by Abraham Gileadi. And in there he talks. he talks about he makes this really cool point and the point is that prophets seers and revelators are not offices in an organization they're mm-hmm. not roles in, in in a in an organization they're gifts of the spirit And so what that means is that anybody could be a prophet, anybody Mm -hmm. could be a seer, and anybody could be a revelator. And if you go and read Moroni chapter 10, what you get from that is do not deny the gifts. And if you want the gifts, then go seek after them and they'll be given to you. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to be a prophet or a seer or a revelator, and Joseph was was famous for saying that everyone should become a prophet, seer, and revelator unto themselves. And I don't think that you can actually get to a society of sovereign individuals who know their wholeness Mm -hmm. and who own their wholeness, which I think we would really define as a Zion-type definition of people. I don't think you can get there if... They are not prophets, seers, and revelators unto themselves. In other right. words, I think the people who uh, comprise of a Zion people are prophets, seers, and revelators unto themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, when we aggrandize Joseph or anybody else, um, Martin Luther or Bonhoeffer, right? Wh- whoever, mm-hmm. whoever it is in any religion. I think we run the risk of missing what the real message is. And I think this has been done to Jesus. Mm-hmm, I agree. I think we've made Jesus into something that he is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is the world according to Hugh. Mm-hmm. But one time I was I was in a very s- serious mode of fasting and prayer. And what I was told so clearly in my own inner knowing is Jesus is not a narcissist. Mm-hmm and i w- i just kind of thought about that and i was like i don't know if jesus like really wants mm-hmm. people to be worshiping him right and right. and and praising his name and that's a very controversial statement and i but i think when it's uh what i'm really trying to say so hopefully people hear what i'm saying not how i'm saying it uh words matter because words they not only sh- you know, help us communicate, but they shape the experience. So I'm not trying to shape this experience negatively, but I just don't think that, I think when we shape it into the fact that Jesus isn't a narcissist and he doesn't want people worshiping him, I think what he wants is people following his, his path of Christ consciousness that he embodied. Right. Which...
0: These things can you do and then some. What is that scripture? Yeah. And more. These yeah, things you can do yeah, and more. Yeah, you'll do
1: greater things than what yes. you've seen me do. Right. And that was another big question that I was like, I don't think I'm seeing greater things. Like, can I just see the things you did? Let <laughs> like, me start there. Let's just start there. Right. And then we'll figure work that out. greater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe we are, and maybe I'm just missing it. You know, I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm open to that. but
0: I haven't seen it. I'm I haven't seen it. I don't know right anybody now.
1: who has seen it. I think if we had somebody who was performing the miracles as Jesus was, he would be super popular on Instagram.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, John of God, right? He was notorious for quite a while with performing pretty major healings. Do you know who he was? Uh-uh. No. He went and um, people would come to him with just all sorts of ailments and he would do energetic surgery on them essentially and yeah. he'll yeah. heal them. Yeah. I don't know a ton of John of God, so I'm just going to caveat that. But I remember yeah. that that was a big piece that people were really like, "Wow, there's this this guy doing these things," and I can't remember how long ago it was.
3: Yeah,
1: I have a buddy uh, who is a quantum physicist, and he has given me. I, I, there's not even a term for it. Uh, I. I'll change his name because I don't think he would want me to say his name, Uh Um, but let's pretend his name is, uh, we'll call him John too. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, the Johns are doing all the miracles, (laughs) but I would call it a John blessing, right? Like, because there's not, it's not a priesthood blessing, it's... it was like a mixture of Reiki, what I ended up finding out what Reiki was uh-huh. uh, and and like his own gifts and just his incredible desire to want to heal uh, himself. And then from there being able to pass that on to mm-hmm. others and help them out. Um, and one of his ways of giving his blessings is he really helps you understand who you are mm-hmm. And then, when you understand who you are, then it's like, oh.
0: It's bringing that wholeness in, which would bring balance to the body.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: I was just talking to a friend of mine about this and how Jesus actually would go in and ask if it was for their best and highest good, if they were ready. You know, if you're, it's your faith that makes you whole. Right. Essentially. Right. And um, yeah,
1: because I think a narcissist would say, um, I healed you and you're welcome. Yeah. Right? Let me come
0: save you, the yep. savior, you know, archetype, which is yep. like, well, no, wait a second. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, another download that I got was um, that Jesus is my savior because he is my mentor.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And Rumi has a really great quote. Mm. Rumi says, you know, the Sufi poet, he says, uh, if you do not have a guide, you will need 200 years To take the two day journey.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: If you do not have a guide, you will need 200 years to take the two day journey. Yeah. And that's the same thing in science. When you have a guide, you have a mentor, then what you get to trade out is trial and error. Mm -hmm. So I would rather go sit with a mentor and then go practice what he's showing me how to do it and then helping me make these tweaks mm-hmm. than just trying it up oh, that did that failed waiting for results to come through oh that failed okay go try again right that's the 200 years right. trial and error and i think that's part of the human experience i think we all signed up in the terms and conditions of that and we can totally end up in a Our own human journey Mm -hmm. in the trial and error stage of it, Uh, or maybe even worse, where we don't even try. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, and that would go to, yeah, we're gods, but we're gods in training. So it's like we have all these aspects to be God in form, but we're learning. Yeah. We're learning how to do that. Yeah. Which I think is an important. To what you're talking about with, with how holding in a, pulling in a guru. Yep. And that's when God changed for me and Jesus, the relationship strengthened. It was like, okay, I need to, I don't know. I don't know these things. I don't yep. know what I'm doing. So it's like, oh, right. Maybe I should start re- working with Jesus because yeah. he did. Yeah. He had to figure it out.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. For me, I mean, and I think this is what the the Western Christian world is talking about when they're saying we need to confess and profess that Jesus is our Savior. Uh, to me, I think what's actually being said is, I need a mentor. I need to figure out how yeah. to embody my own Christ consciousness, and I'm going to choose Jesus to be that mentor mm. for me.
0: Yeah, I think the savi- that's how I've approached it. I think the savior, the the savior archetype, right? With I need to be saved. If you carry that in your psyche and in your subconscious belief system, and it's in our programming, yeah. Then you're going to constantly go out in the world thinking that you're something's wrong with you, yeah. and you need to always be saved. Yep. And by the way, you're evil. You had so many sins that Jesus, you know, went through this whole process so yeah. that you could become clean.
3: Yeah,
1: I don't know. It's I I agree, and I was reading in the book of Mary, which is the Mary Magdalene, her gospel. We've got three copies of it that we found in mm-hmm. in multiple languages in different parts of the world.
0: First six pages ripped out.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. interestingly enough. Right. Um and uh she says in chapter three, I believe it's chapter three, verse one through three, John and Mary are talking to Jesus, and John says to to Jesus, he says, What is the the great sin of the world? And Jesus says back there is no such thing as sin. Mm -hmm. Now I think what's really being said here is there's nothing that takes away from your wholeness. Mm -hmm. Now there's things that uh, can create a tremendous amount of hurt, harm, and pain. And pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but yet even then there's nothing that can take away your, your wholeness. Mm -hmm. And, And so, what I another way I might say that is that there's nothing that can shame you. Mm -hmm. Because years ago, I was in prayer working through a struggle in my life, and I remember a spirit saying to me, Shame will destroy you faster than any sin ever will. And I had no idea what was being said, I just knew it was true. Yeah that shame would destroy me. And so I dove into Brene Brown. I learned what shame was. I think simply define shame as being not enough, feeling like you're not enough. It's a total lie. I think it's the great lie. I think shame is the great deceiver Yeah, um, because we all are enough. Mm-hmm. and um, And so
0: when you look at that vibrational scale, right, you've seen that with how, yeah. how different emotions carry different vibration. And shame is lo- like the lowest vibrational emotion that you can carry. It's next to death, yep. essentially. Yep. Which is quite interesting because there's so much shame and guilt within religion. Yep. And so for me and my belief system, I believe it's part of how it's kind of anchored in of, hey, I need to keep going to this church because I need to repent for my yep. sins because I carry so much shame.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the word sin, going back to like, there is no such thing as sin. And then what you're saying with, I need to repent, right? And the shame that that drives in. Repentance, uh, well, sin, the Greek word for sin is hamastia. And hamastia, uh, it's used in multiple different cultural settings. One of the settings that it's used in is in the military setting. And hamastia could be used if you were like an archer and you were going out to the battlefield. And so to prepare to go to the battlefield, you've got to take your bow and arrow and you've got to practice aiming at the target and hitting the target. And if you shot your arrow and you missed the target, that was hamastia. You missed the mark. So you missed the mark.
0: I think I've heard that one, that, yeah. that sin was actually just missing the mark. Just but missing it- the mark keep practicing.
1: So if I have uh if I'm in the military and let's say I want to join special forces and I'm going to get my bow and arrow, then I'm going to miss the mark. What I've got to go do is go talk to the green beret instructor, right, who hits the mark and who's been to battle and hit the mark and he's really good at this. And if I went to him and said, "Nope, I can't. I'm no good at this." I mean, the first thing he's going to do is be like, "Hey, grab another arrow." Yeah. Let's let me go again. Let me show you. And I'm like, "No, I can't." I'm not good enough. Yeah. Right. Shame, shame, shame. Shame, shame, shame. Mm -hmm. And so the word for repentance is uh, metanoia. And metanoia, uh, I think better, like the translation I like for metanoia is to re-aim or to try again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to repent is to say, okay, I'll pull out another arrow. To sin is to miss the target that you are aiming at. Mm -hmm. So then I'm going to repent so in other words um you're in alignment and you're out of alignment right. it's alignment and misalignment mm-hmm. and we're constantly in alignment and then falling out of alignment and yeah. then getting back in alignment and because we're this is the wrestle mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and so um yeah Right. When it's talking about in the Doctrine and Covenants of those who inhabit Zion, it says these are they who have overcome these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So they couldn't be it's in the,
0: Zion if they hadn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you, your hearts would be They're really
1: good at missing the mark and even better at re-aiming. Yeah. But the thing that makes it even possible is that they have a mentor. hmm Right. And this is what it's supposed to mean by rabbi. Right? Yeah is to be master or in other words, mentor. Mm -hmm. And so to me, Jesus, Jesus is my mentor and, and Christ consciousness is my target. Mm -hmm. And he's the guy who's been there and done that. He knows where I've been and he knows where I'm going because he's there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Hmm. I think he embodied Christ consciousness better than anybody else. Yeah. That that we know of that we know of. Right. And, but Melchizedek no, did it really well. I Enoch, think Mary did. Enoch did it really well. Mary did it really well. Uh, the whole people after Third Nephi chapter eleven do it really well. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes and visits the Americas in chapter. You know, if you if you believe in the story that's being told, or Quetzalcoatl, or it, yeah. yeah. So there's clearly where these uh, people who have existed who did it really well, and they embodied that that level of consciousness. And I think that's the target we're all supposed to be aiming at when you dive into the ancient Egyptian endowment, the Masonic endowment, the LDS endowment. The very first thing God says to man Mm -hmm. is awake Mm -hmm. and arise, right? You have to wake up to your self-consciousness. I think that's the real message. Jordan Peterson talks really well on on the importance of waking to your Mm self-consciousness. But I think that's the story that Genesis in Adam and Eve is really trying to get to us is that we have to wake up.
0: Do you think that that was a literal story then, or do you think it's a parable?
1: I think uh, I like Avraham Gileadis take on truth. He says that for truth to be, Uh, And I don't want to put words in his mouth. This is how I remember it. This is how what he said to me made (laughs) sense, is that I needed to uh, understand it literally, figuratively, and symbolically. And if it Mm -hmm. met all three of those, then you got a really good chance that it's true.
0: That's interesting.
1: So I think that, uh, I think that there was an Adam and Eve, whether that was their actual name, right? I I think that's their like American English name. Right. (laughs) Uh, and, and those parts seem quite anecdotal to me and doesn't, I don't really care in, in that sense. Um, But symbolically, I bet you their names are really profound. Mm -hmm. Figuratively, I think they probably mean a lot for me. And this is what happens when you go into these endowment sessions in all these different religions is that you're supposed to respectively see yourself as Adam and Eve. Right. And so it's really saying symbolically see yourself here. You're going through this journey. Too and your journey is the same as their journey. Yeah, and my journey is really the same as your journey, and it's I got it starts with waking up. If I don't wake up, everything else you've said to me doesn't really matter. Yeah, until I can. Awake mm-hmm. and then arise.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that's something that has been coming in recently for me over the last few weeks is, you know, in my experience, I've only ever experienced ceremony and in the initiations and the endowment, and all that stuff through Mormon, yep. the Mormon church, the Mormon yep. religion. And yet every religion has some form of that. And it has, we've had that yeah. since probably the dawn of time. Yeah, And that was something that, because I know a lot of people really struggle with ritual or ceremony when they leave religion yep. because... I, I'm like catching myself because you don't think anybody leaves religion, but when they leave religion, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they struggle with, because they, they assume it's somebody trying to take away.
3: Yeah. Cause I
0: feel like it is a takeaway experience when people have left because they, yeah. they do wake up. There yeah. isn't an, an element of waking up of going, okay, yeah. how this is operated and how this is being ran. It doesn't yeah. resonate with my soul anymore. Yeah. And so to everyone and that is. I think is that's leading, true.
1: I think that's true. I've heard how it resonates with them. I've heard how they've understood the terms and the conditions and given their definition of it and their experience of it, I think they're doing the right thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and it's like there has been ceremony initiations for forever. So there is a purpose and a place for it. I think that for me and my experience, I'm curious to see what else gets to be created. Yeah. That, you know, when you talk about Zion, say there's a community like that, that ends up happening I would be shocked if there wasn't ceremony and yeah. rituals that would happen.
1: hundred percent because it helps the prefrontal cortex engage in the human mind to be able to believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. I just had this discussion, uh, with somebody of just the other day, one of my best friends. Um, and I was talking to him about the idea of this ritual of a priesthood blessing and laying your, you know, they lay your their hands on your head, or or you lay your hands on someone else's head, and what I realized is that um, there's not there's not magic in the laying on of the hands. It's It's a ritual that helps me believe that something is actually happening, and therefore I get to increase my own belief, right? This is what Jesus said, is be believing. Mm -hmm. So I think rituals actually strengthen our belief in the thing that's happening. Yeah, And, And so, not to say that there could not actually be power in our hands. I think that there is. I'm not trying to diminish that. But I'm trying to say that the ritual is to help us increase our belief that there is something, there is this energy, there is this this gift that's happening. And so... The giver of the blessing is not the savior. Mm-mm. The giver of the blessing is simply engaging in a ritual. And I think this happens in Reiki. It happens, mm-hmm. in, right? We're always using our hands. It even happens in just business dealings when I just give someone a handshake, mm-hmm. right? There's a, soak, a token and a symbol right there. Right, And we do it when we meet new people. <laughs> and so... Um, I could probably jump down a rabbit hole of the thing I don't understand. And I don't understand why the religions keep it sacred.
0: Where you have to, in order to enter the house, you have to. Yeah, I
1: I think it ought to be taught uh, openly.
0: Yeah, but even, so when you talk about the Holy of Holies with Abraham, in my research and my study, um, and I'm trying to remember... There is a video that I watched. Um, oh, his name's going to come to me. He's a quantum physicist and he's brilliant. Anyway, I'm not going to remember, although it's right on the tip of my tongue. You anyway, know, he did this whole three hour long documentary where he actually went and followed the Ark of the Covenant and where he is this believed.
1: the guy you were telling me about?
0: I don't remember. McCroy. No, no, somebody else um he goes into math and and the um deca decahedron and talks yeah. about i mean it's just fascinating and some of it it's like okay i got to pause this for a minute cuz yeah. my head is going to explode yeah. but they followed the ark and the covenant and they got where they believed that it would be and they would find oil and they would find the um i guess tinder or whatever it would to be uh-huh. to light the incense uh-huh. and um the sarcophagus is in i can't remember which pyramid it was would exactly fit the, Sarco- the ark and the covenant, and they believed that the ark and the covenant is the holy of holies, and that it was some sort of a portal. And the only way to step into the presence of it, you would have to anoint yourself with oils because the energy is so intense. Yeah. You know, because everything yeah. we're talking about is energetics. So when you're talking yeah. about a blessing, laying on a hand, Reiki, we know that everything yeah. is energy. This is ninety nine point nine 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 percent space. It's energy, right. Right. and um, you know that as you were talking about the holy of holies. Is it possible that there yeah, okay, anybody could go in there, but hey, we're gonna just, you know, to make this fair.
3: Yeah.
0: Because there would have to be some sort of a system or you would have lines constantly of people um looking for something to save them, mm-hmm. stepping into the space, connecting somehow through some vortex portal, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and if I when I researched that, if I remember correctly, you did have to be in a state of preparedness emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. You know, the road to Ulysses talks about how people would prepare their whole lives to go to this temple experience and have this once in a lifetime experience where they would die before they died. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what has um, gotten—it's kind of what you're talking about—that silver bullet. Everybody's looking for a magic pill. Yeah, hey, just give me the answers, and that's what I think religion has done us disservice.
1: They've said we have the we ha- we have the answers and we're the silver bullet,
0: right? Yeah, and so everyone's been so conditioned to that. Instead yeah. of hey, find the, to what you're speaking to, find the answers within. You're your own sovereign being that can receive downloads, yep. and can figure out how to find your wholeness, and then in that state, have these ceremonies. In that, you know, what, you know yep. what I'm saying?
1: Yep. Yeah, and here's the here's the reason why I think the endowments across all the religions are so important. And I'm grateful for the organized religions that have kept them in the state and intact to the degree that they have been, Mm -hmm. that that at least we get to experience them now. And what I mean more specifically like that is uh, like a, a perfect example is the endowment in the 1800s with Joseph Smith was about 13 hours long. Holy cow. And now we're trying to shave it under two hours. Do
0: you think they use psychedelics then?
1: 100%.
0: That's what I'm wondering. I mean, because there's no question that Joseph used my psychedelics in my opinion. Yeah. When he's seeing things yeah. and he's a seer and, and looking yeah. at magic stones. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I think that there is a strong, strong case for the use of entheogens in the origin of, of the church
0: well there has been studies that have found that there was ergot which was from barley that was a hallucinogen or, or psychedelic yeah. that has been found in the old old like Jesus's time in the yeah. wine goblets like yep. they did use it as
1: yeah there's a fascinating book on it I wish everyone would read it it's called The Immortality Key
0: yeah I could not get through it it's a oh, really? yeah. it's heavy well it's heavy, I loved awesome. his podcast with Joe Rogan yeah I listened to that and then I got, got his book and I'm like oh my god
1: yep yep <laughs> Brian Mar- Mar- Marci, yeah, Marusku or something like that, Maruska.
0: And the name I was, talk- it was Nassim Harem. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I follow him on Instagram.
0: Yeah, he's fascinating. Yeah, he's brilliant, he's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant.
1: Yeah, super brilliant. The endowments I think are super important because I don't think, I think the kingdom of God is inside of us. I don't think that anything that we need is outside of us, Mm -hmm. but I think the things outside of us, if done properly are there to help us learn what's inside of us. Right. And I think the endowment is one of those external things that helps when taught in proper context, me understand me Mm -hmm. and what's going on inside Mm -hmm. and what this is all about. And I think the endowment story is actually there, but it's, I think a lot of its context has been lost yeah, or, or drifted. Yeah, or construed a little. Yeah. yeah. And so an easier way to say that is that what's happening in my real life is what I'm learning in the endowment session. So I don't have to go to the endowment session to receive my garments Mm -hmm. i've already received them the day i was born Mm -hmm. in my opinion i think that's your human body yeah right it's your coat of skins it's your epidermis right and so i think that it's a beautiful thing to have garments that are symbolic for people who are in a state of being prepared becoming the initiate and then also needing that daily reminder oh yeah i am I am mm-hmm. here, and I've been born, and I, and I and I have this. So, so the endowment session, for example, I spent a couple of years studying it, mentoring under some amazing mentors. Um, I created a presentation that's about two and a half hours long. It just seems to take that long to get to get through it. Maybe even three hours long. I had hundreds and hundreds of people who left the church come to me and say what the heck was the endowment? Because I think it was BS. And I huh. was like, well, I'll give you the endowment according to Hugh. And
0: here's this three-hour long
1: thing. Here's a three-hour long You're thing. You're welcome. I had hundreds of people coming to it. And I stopped doing it because uh, I was feeling like they were starting to put me up on a pedestal like I was – gonna give them something and maybe my ego was getting involved and they were turning to me to find the answers and i was like no you just have to understand i am so damn geeky that i just geek out on this crap and i do the homework Mm -hmm. and i do it with people that also do the homework i have some amazing friends that really dive in and do deep homework with me so it's not even my whole thing like very little of it is mine i piece it together really Mm -hmm. well but i have brilliant brilliant friends that that really put this together and so i just present really well and and so i I ended up stopping and doing it but one of the things that i realized was that like the anointed right like we're all anointed right and to become an initiate you have to be washed and anointed right but when my mom and and when everyone's mom when her water broke, right. you were washed in water. Mm-hmm. And then when you were born in the womb, you were anointed in the blood of your mother. Right. So there you've been washed and anointed to become an initiate. Mm-hmm. And then you got a, a, a body, which now you've got your coat of skins. And mm-hmm. so now you have your garments. And that's so that you can do your work here on the earth. And and then you received a new name. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, there it is right there. Right. So when I go to the endowment in any of the religions, what I'm looking at is I'm like, oh, there's the story. They're just trying to teach what's actually happening in my human experience. And I think that um, I think the temples that hold the endowments Mm -hmm. are. I think they ought to be thought of as a university. But if the university can't teach the content in context, the delivery of it is going to be poorly received. And I think that's what's happening right now.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know as you're talking, one of the things, and you and I have talked about this before, because I've been sitting with this for a while as well, is the idea of ascension. You know, we, even in, in religion and, and in the woo-woo world, it's all about this ascension. You know, we want the planet to ascend. We want us to ascend. You know, how did the city of Enoch ascend? How did they figure that out? It's always this idea. In fact, the definition is to, you know, climb a ladder, to go up higher. Yeah. But the true definition, and in Mary's gospel, talks about that, that it's actually going further in.
1: Yeah, to go within.
0: To go further within, yeah. Yep. And then, again, that's where you find your wholeness, and that's how you ascend. Yep. Totally. And... You know that's that's one thing again speaking to language that's just been a little misconstrued or misunderstood that no it's actually not we're not leaving we yeah. chose to be here in these human bodies to have these coats of skin yeah. to learn how to be God in form yeah. you're here so how are we going to figure out how to stay here and make you know have a better life enjoy yeah. life enjoy the experience and have fun and play and create yeah. this world was meant to create we're supposed to be birthers of ideas and experiences and You know, children. Yeah,
1: totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, I think when we stop being hypocrites, that's our dead works, (laughs) right? I've caused this church to be built up in the last days because of your dead works, right? Because you're hypocrites. You're not really living up to. You're not embodying it. You're making agreements that you don't keep, right? Um, Well,
0: and you're still asleep.
1: And you're still asleep. And that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think I think there are many times that I have made agreements in my life and have not been able to be impeccable with my word in mm. keeping that agreement. That's a really I mean that's a shadowy thing to say, right? That's yeah. something I have to embrace. But obviously there's times that I've done that. And um I think we all have. We all have. Yeah. And so it's okay. The the thing about it is that you have to eventually become impeccable with your word. You have to eventually live up to the agreements that you're, you're making and you're, and you're keeping. Mm -hmm. Right. And those are the people who I think have embodied their wholeness are those who know themselves so well, they know their character and they know what agreement they can keep Mm-hmm. rather than just the ones they want to make.
0: Mm-hmm. right? High integrity. Yep. Yeah. You didn't share how, your story of why you chose to leave.
1: So, um, I think the, uh, I mean, part of it is, uh, I mean, part of it is that I just, I think I ran out of temperance Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think I had enough temperance, uh, maybe not enough patience, not enough meekness, to uh, sit with people who were supposed to be my brothers and sisters, but I didn't really feel a true connection and belonging to. Yeah. So there's a lot of complexity to that. Um, I could have done better, I think, and and obviously I could like still go back. I don't have a desire to do that because I have that that community. You have a community now I have a community now um, and and uh, and I like my my Mormon community you know I would never in my opinion I, I don't ever see myself fully leaving the church um, I people who want to go on missions or they want to go you know do those things I'm fully supportive of that
0: it's their choice it's
1: their choice it's their human experience it's their their journey um, so I would never discourage any of that um, I think a lot of good is done in the world because of it uh, I think I did a lot of good in that mm-hmm. but for me uh, in leaving, I think that I think any church is a preparatory. Church, I think, is what it is. And I think it's really important to have them. But, um you know, I ask this to people all the time like, when was the last time you went back to fifth grade? Right. And people are like, well, I wouldn't. Right. right? Or think about it uh, even in a better context, because you could also say, when's the last time you went back to college? And people who have graduated college don't go back to college. Mm-mm. Right. Like, they don't go back and redo the thing what they've they already did. done. Yeah. yeah. And that's because it prepared them to go do bigger and greater things. And so mm-hmm. they're off doing bigger and greater things. Now they may come back to go help people make it through that stage because they made it through. And that's a super cool, awesome thing to do. And so we could view church that way uh, with no ego in it, right? It's, it's not to say that one is better than another. But if I learned the basics of math, so uh, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Mm-hmm. Once I learned that, Right. Then I move on to algebra. Mm-hmm. And once I move on to algebra, I, I move on to Geometry. The, the next level. Geometry. Yep. <laughs> geometry. And then we go on to trigonometry, right? Uh. And then we just continue to go on and go on and on. And then you got the quantum physicist doing the math problems that I'm like, wait, when did punctuations and letters become right. numbers and er, right? I and got all, and all those things, right? And so, so the guy who's doing the quantum physicist math whatever that is, he's still using addition and subtraction and division. Mm -hmm. So he didn't throw that away, and he didn't get rid of it. Yeah, That was a foundation, and that was a preparatory thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what happens in the church, is that they give you the foundation and they give you the the preparatory thing. Um, But when all you ever do is just math, the basic math, over and over and over and over every single year to me it was like this is awesome this is this is beautiful but the 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 juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore Mm -hmm. and i want to go squeeze sweeter things Mm -hmm. but i'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. yeah i'll throw the cultural crap out all day long right and there's a ton of that Mm -hmm. and i think that the uh the, I know the people that, that are, like, running big, big departments in the church. Right. I know them on a personal level. Uh, I've had a chance to work with some of the apostles, and they're amazing people, like— seriously amazing people, nothing. I've known some of them for years, nothing in their life tells me that they're trying to create this conspiracy to get people to, you know, do this, that, and the other. I think the majority of it is just the culture that the people are actually creating, not the organization. And, and that's a very, very complex problem. I think any business has to figure out how to help their culture out. Mm -hmm. Um, Apple is trying to figure out how to make their culture better. Google is a great example of someone Mm -hmm. who's trying to be really on the cutting edge of helping their culture out. Um, and businesses now today are starting to, and I'm not trying to jump down some rabbit hole of this, but businesses are really starting to say, Hey, we need to take care of the emotional being mm-hmm. of our, mm-hmm. of our employees so that they don't want to leave. Well, I think churches are looking at the same thing and they're like, oh, we haven't really helped people deal with their emotions. Mm-hmm. And when you're telling a shame-based story that you're not enough, that doesn't help people deal with their emotions especially when such hard challenging things are happening it's too easy to become hardened from hard things yeah and the 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 solutions the solutions that the churches are giving are uh, watered down, yeah. That that don't have enough nutrition to be able to make sense of the sorrow and the pain and the loss that I'm experiencing in my life. Right. So the juice just then becomes not worth the squeeze, and that's that's why I reduced my activity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, I appreciate your perspective. I don't know that I wholeheartedly agree you know in any corporation it does come from the top and i do think there's a lot of greed and ego within the top of the mormon religion i mean plain and simple i think that maybe joseph smith a lot of people have an opinion of him i think that he was trying to create a a sacred school Mm -hmm. of sorts And he was human and has an ego and has filters just like everyone else. And then it gets passed down to someone else who has filters and has an ego. And however many generations have passed now, you have all of that making this interesting soup, if you will, that has created what is existing today. And you could say that about any corporation on this planet. There are some that are more wholesome Mm -hmm. and others that are less wholesome. Totally. You know, I think that the patriarchy piece has been um, hardened. Well,
1: it's out of of balance. Yeah. It's it's, definitely out of harmony. Yeah. If you have patriarchy, then you have to have matriarchy. Right. You you have to have it. If we are living in a world of duality and harmony and balance, if you've got light, then you got to have the dark, right? If you've. Yeah. If you've got joy, you have to have sorrow. You, yeah. Verse, you have to, vice, you have to have virtue. Patriarchy, nope, don't need matriarchy. Like that doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, that's going into the ego and power, right? right? Of no, right. we're better than. And right. that's the thing that, you know, when Jesus started, he went to the sick. He went to the ones that had demons. He went to, you know, it wasn't that he went to the people that were righteous, quote unquote, righteous, depending right. on that, your perspective. They were then. the ones
1: that he was not happy with, right? He yeah. was like, oh, you vipers, you generation right. of vipers. Yeah, right? yeah. Like he's not happy with the ones that were the quote unquote righteous ones.
0: Right, right. So when you found your, we're getting close, I'm probably needing to wrap up, but when you found, because most people when they live, leave religion, their foundation's gone. They have a lot of anger, they're going through a death process. And most people, the community is a big piece. How did you find your community after leave, after not leaving religion, but choosing not to go anymore?
1: Yeah. Reducing my activity. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: um, I had a lot of people that I was mentoring with, uh, that we were kind of going through it together. Yeah. And so, uh, we, I don't know any of us that are angry. I think some of us are very disappointed. Um, but I think the things that we're disappointed in, I think those will eventually be fixed. I think they'll be corrected or healed, mm-hmm. um, brought into wholeness, brought into wholeness. Yeah, I don't like the word fixing. Uh, I, I I would restate that to healing or or mm-hmm. wholeness. Mm-hmm. Fixing is an IQ way of trying to bring an EQ right. Challenge into wholeness, mm-hmm. right? So you can't use an IQ to solve an EQ problem. Mm-hmm. And so fixing is IQ, healing, I think is EQ. And um yeah, so I never felt like I lost my community. That's good. And I didn't have any anger either. That's an interesting thing. I didn't have any, I still have no anger, no animosity, no nothing. I'm like, uh eh. But I've also lost a tremendous amount in my life. Yeah. Uh, in in my personal life. So where I did experience loss and anger in my personal life uh, and hurt and pain and all the shadow emotions, that... Those experiences, I was looking for healing in the church and didn't find it. Mm. And so where I went and found it brought me great joy. And I didn't blame the church for not healing me or because or, I don't even think that that there was a time that I thought that was how it was it's supposed to be supposed to be. Yeah. But then I kind of phased out of that. So. I get that some people are very hurt and, and the culture is so deep um, in their family lives mm-hmm. and it's really, really painful and really challenging for them. So I'm not trying to diminish any of that reality to them. I just didn't experience that. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was asking you about your experience. So that was, yeah, that was perfect. What advice would you give for someone that's listening that's struggling You know they've left. They've lost their community because most people do. Yeah. Um, What advice would you offer? I would
1: say. Well, I would go back to the uh, formula that we went over at the at the retreat. You know that. that So come Sunday.
3: So come (laughs) Sunday.
1: Um, Let go of the story. Let go of the story. The wounded story yeah it's It's okay. Here's what happens. You experience you experience something that f- feels like or is abandonment, uh, betrayal, rejection, abuse. You have that experience. That experience brings great sorrow. The sorrow comes with an extremely powerful perception of loss. That's why it's so painful. And that then comes with a whole bunch of shadow emotions. Yeah. The fear, the anger, the sadness. And nobody... If you think about it, no one has taught us how to face and feel mm-hmm. those shadow emotions. So they feel horrible. And, and so I want to run from them. Right. And I want to avoid them. And Brene Brown says, if you have bitterness or resentment... It is because you have pain that has been avoided or ignored. Mm -hmm. And so I think when there's bitterness and resentment towards the church or towards anything, any other person, it's not because what they did should be judged as a bad thing. It's that no one taught you how to sit with the pain and the shadow emotions that came. So when you don't know how to sit with it, you're going to avoid it. And you're going to ignore it. And when you're going to avoid it, ignore it, the first thing you're going to do is complain about it because complaining is the way to talk about pain. Mm. And so if I complain, I'm now talking about my pain. If I'm talking about my pain, I'm going to find the evidence that shows where the fault was at. Right. And now I'm blaming. And now I have evidence which is blaming the the thing or the church or the other person and then I'm shaming because that should have been better and it was not enough mm-hmm. and now I'm going to judge it as to that whether it was right or it was wrong and I'm going to judge it as it being wrong and this is what Jesus is saying in the uh, sermon on the mount it's Matthew 7 verse 1 he says do not judge in greek it says do not make a determination whether it is wrong Mm-hmm. And so it's painful, but no right. one sh- showed you how to sit with your fear and your anger and your sadness and sit with those emotional pains. Mm-hmm. So of course you're going to judge it. Yeah. So what you really need to do is is attend retreats that teach you how to sit and face and feel your shadow emotions and and face and feel the pain that you have, so that you can process it and move it and heal it. Mm -hmm. Once you can do that, then you can look back on the experience. And this would be where my, my answer would come in if to answer the question is that we have to find appreciation for the thing that we thought we lost. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't find appreciation for it, then it doesn't have a lesson for me Mm -hmm. to be taught. Mm -hmm. and then how do i learn more about me if i if i'm being tortured by the experience then i can't be taught by it yeah right so if i can find appreciation and i don't have to be appreciative for the abandonment the betrayal the rejection or the abuse but i do have to find appreciation for what it taught me about me Mm -hmm. and then it has value and when it has value it has meaning and any deep deep and painful experience of sorrow that has no meaning is miserable yeah so now through my appreciation i'm now i'm now alchemizing my misery into meaning Mm -hmm. and then i can see the the value that it it had gifts and the gifts that, that came with it yeah and then from appreciation i can now move to accountability and this is a very very difficult thing because the fact is is if the church isn't serving me or the people that i know and i was a part of it now i have to ask myself what was my role why? in that situation
0: yeah. yeah why did i choose in
1: why did i choose in and why did i choose to be a part of a part of it because because i was teaching the elder scorm, I was doing, I was doing all of these, these things too. So I'm just as responsible or accountable. Mm -hmm. So appreciation brings accountability and accountability is the ability to account for what happened without finding fault. Mm -hmm. And therefore the only way I could actually do that is ask myself one question. And the question is what was my role in the situation of why it is the way it is. (laughs) See now, I'm not blaming it or blaming them. I'm saying this is where I could have done better because these are still my brothers and my sisters. This is. It's still my neighbors. It's still my community. It's still the kids who uh, my kids go to school with, right? So, so I need to take response. I don't like the word responsibility, but I need to take accountability and and ask what was my role in the situation and why it wasn't a great place to be. Why wasn't the? Why didn't I help the juice become worth the squeeze? Yeah. Right. So now I'm getting out of blame, and then I can move into empathy and realizing I think we're all just doing the very best we know how to do. And hundred so percent. I think. I think That's my advice appreciation, accountability, and empathy.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else you feel like you want to add or share?
1: Yeah. Come to our events.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, talk about. Well, and your website, if people want to find you, what's your website? Uh,
1: The website is Mustang Medicine Events. Okay. I'll
0: make sure and put that in the show notes as well. And it's really been, I mean, you and I have known each other, God, seven years now? Yeah. 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 And it's been fun fun to watch your journey and and where you're at and what you're doing now and and the impact that you've had on people. And it's it's profound. The work that you're doing is beautiful and profound. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. For sharing your light with the world. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll make sure and put that website in the show notes. Awesome. Anything else?
1: Now I feel complete.
0: Sweet. Well, thank you. Thank you. Didn't I tell you that would be a super cool episode? I hope there was some wisdom that you gained, some perspective that maybe maybe you didn't have, that you have a little bit of a different perspective now, with the reality that there's truth in all things. And um, like I said, we I will post Hugh's website down below if you have a chance to go see what he offers. It is absolutely stunning. And to get a glimpse of what Hugh shares and and get his formula that took him years to create, come join us for our Speaker Symposium this Sunday, April 24th in Highland, Utah from 10 to 6 p.m. And like I said, I'm really excited. Not only do we have amazing speakers, but we also have a really beautiful sound healing that will be brought to us in the middle of the day. So if you want to grab your ticket, there's a few left Head over to AmandaJoyLoveland.com forward slash lean in. And as always, know that you are not alone, that we are here to find our spiritual centers together, to find that wholeness that resides within each and every one of us, and to re-remember all that we are. Sending you all so much love.